All right, Luke chapter 2. Last week we looked, or the week prior to that, we, we read through the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, last week we focused on Jesus being presented in the temple. One of the things that we, uh, we realized with Joseph and Mary is that they are very devout Jews, right? So they obeyed, you know, the letter of the law, you know, to its fullest extent. Uh, we see, we're even going to see it this week that they continue in that. And uh, then we saw a man named Simeon who had been waiting for the, his entire life, for a majority of his life, for, as Luke calls it, or as maybe even Simeon called it, the consolation of Israel, right? The, in a sense, the comfort of Israel, looking for the Messiah. And he saw that in a baby, and that was baby Jesus. And so he took him in his arms in verse 28, and then he gave this blessing uh, over Jesus and, 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 and almost, in a sense, prophesied of what Jesus would do. And one of the main things that we got from that was in verse, um, actually, no, I'm sorry, it was when he was speaking to Mary in verse 34. He said, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And we see that, right? We see that experientially, and we see that through the word of God, that Jesus was, because of who he is as Savior and as the Messiah, he causes either people to stumble, right? He's either a stumbling block or he brings about salvation. And so that's what Simeon is prophesying in regards to Jesus, is that he would make many fall and many rise. And then he even says to Mary, as we ended in verse 35, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. So even though Mary was a sinner and needed Jesus as her savior, Jesus was also still her son, right? And so everything that she would see Jesus go through, the rejection, the, uh, the hanging on the cross, um, all the pain, everything that she saw Jesus go through, she herself felt as a mother, right? So verse 36, Luke chapter 2, let's jump right in. It says, now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So we see two great examples of devout Christians, followers of Jesus, people looking for the Savior to come. First, we saw Simeon last week, and today we're going to see Anna. And Anna, there's something special about her. One, that she's a woman. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Two, that she is a widow. And three, that she is old. Okay, so three things that in society weren't necessarily, you know, like a great thing uh, to have. And so, you know, we see Jesus, Jesus is God in general, is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your height. It doesn't matter your gender. He sees us all the same and he loves us all the same. Right. None of us are better than one another. So it says in Luke says in verse 36, that she lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. You might be thinking, what the heck does that mean, right? Well, let me put it, you know, in fifth grade terms. She had been married to her husband for seven years before he died. Does that make sense? So they got married. Seven years later, her husband dies. Now, obviously, she was probably a young girl. And we see in verse 37 that she had been a widow of about 84 years. Now, some people could say, okay, she was a widow for 84 years, or she was actually 84 years old. Either way, it does not matter, right? Who cares? What we do know is that she was old, 
right? Old. Like, you guys, at your age, you think, like, what, 40s old? 30? Yeah. <laughs> some of you think 30s old. Some of you think 40, 50, right? And then, you know, think about your parents. Some of your parents are, you know, in their 40s and 50s. And it's all about perspective. But anyways, it doesn't matter if she was 84 or 106. What it does say in, what is it, in verse... Um, Oh, I can't find it. Oh, right here in verse 36. She was of a great age, right? She was old. Point blank, she was old. And so one of the things that Luke mentions about her, outside of her being a woman, outside of her uh, being a widow, and outside of her being old, was something that was uh, very unique about her, was that she served, in verse end of verse 37, that she served God night and day. She served God night and day. To serve means to minister to. So three things I want to look at. One, that she's a woman. Two, that she's a widow. And three, that she was elderly. So first thing is that Anna was a woman. One of the things that we've been discussing and that we've noticed is that women in that society, in that culture, were uh, not on the same playing level as men. Right? They were treated differently. And we see that Jesus goes beyond that, sees beyond that, and treats women the way that he would treat anyone else. And so, uh, remember, God is no respecter of persons, and he is pleased with the devotion of any person, regardless of male or female, right? And we see the devotion of Annie here as she's serving God night and day through prayer and fasting. So not only was she a woman, but she was a widow, and she'd been a widow from an early age, you know? And, and thinking about that, that's a hard thing to go through, and so she could have been very bitter and blamed God for those things. And we know that any time that we have bitterness in our heart, it usually has a snowball effect, right? Like it grows, it festers, it gets worse and worse as time goes on. And we see here, here at an old age that there's no bitterness in her heart because she is serving God night and day. So there's no bitterness in her heart. Widows in that culture, they did not have much of an opportunity to get an education or learn a business or a trade to provide for themselves, yet she did not turn her back on God. In fact, listen to this, God declares that he has a special concern for orphans and widows. In Psalm 68.5, it says, A father, speaking of God, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. And then James tells us what pure and undefiled religion is. You guys remember this verse? James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So God has, has, has a care and a special concern for Anna as a woman, also as a widow. And now we're going to see her as uh, an elderly person. And when you think of uh, the elderly in our society, and especially, and I'm not saying you guys specifically, but our people your age and people a little bit older than you, the elderly are often viewed as uh, useless, you know? We, we don't respect them. Um, we think they're just old and useless, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, they can't take care of themselves. Some of them can't drive. You know, some of them 
uh, they can't make a living, and obviously this is at a certain age or you know whatever else is going on in their life, but but God does not view the elderly. And, the, and here's the crazy thing, guys, is that you yourself will become old one day, right? I mean, think about that. Think about someday, you know, Lord willing, you will become old, and, and you'll get to the point where, like, you will ne- you will be dependent on other people to help you. And I don't know about you, but that that's like a scary thing to think about because we are such independent people and at some point in life the older you get you will be dependent on other people whether that's you know them wheeling you around town uh helping you eat i mean you guys have experienced this probably with your grandparents or your great grandparents and so it's something that we need to to be aware of right to treat them with respect to 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 honor them and we see this with jesus and if an elderly, elderly person is devoted to God, their life and their death is precious in God's sight. And so one thing I want to look at with Anna, she's a woman, she's a widow, and she's old. God says, like, I don't care about any of that. And we could do the vice, vice versa of that. You know, you're young, you know, that's, I guess that's the only thing. You're young, right? And, and we know that just because you're young, we shouldn't despise you. We shouldn't think, well, God can't use you. Well, look at Jesus, as we're going to see as we read further, at 12 years old is doing amazing things. And so it doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter any of this. But one thing I want to look at with Anna is that throughout her entire life, she was completely devoted, just like Simeon, to God. And you might be thinking, okay, actually, let me, let me, let me ask you this question. At the end of your life, okay, what is your measure of success? Like, what would, as you look back in your life, how would you define your measure of success? Like, what, what would that look like? Is it you having some type of impact on the world? Is it, you know, raising a great family and having grandkids and great-grandchildren? Is it, you know, succeeding in life and career? Is it becoming famous? Is it, like, what is your measure of success in this life? And as I look at Anna, here she is, an old uh, widow who has been serving the Lord devoutly, it says, through prayer and fasting. And she did it night and day. And you may think, as a young person, or as well, doesn't matter if you're young or not, but you may think, well, that's a waste of time. Right? That's a waste of, of her life. She could have gone and done other things. And so what is your measure of success? What is the measure of a life well spent? How do you know whether you are wasting your life or investing in things that really matter? And I'll challenge you with this because there, I, there's nothing wrong with wanting, I guess, to be successful in this life unless it's apart from following God's will. Then I would say it's wrong. But there's nothing wrong with working hard and striving for things in this life. But again, apart from God's will, I don't think that's right. But too many times we try to focus on the things that are temporal compared to the things that are eternal, right? And we see the things that are eternal as worthless or, you know, there's, there's not a lot of reward that comes from it in this life, right? That's because the reward is eternal. And so, you know, stop thinking about, you know, what is temporal and start thinking about what is eternal. And for Anna, that's, that was a big thing, that she would serve God night and day, even at such an old age, she was at the temple. 
Listen, no matter what state, what station of uh, life you are in, male, female, young, old, rich or poor, widow or married, you can be devoted to God and you'll be pleased with your devotion. We see that with Simeon and we see that with Anna. Let's start in verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So even though she experienced pain, she experienced loss, she was not bitter, she had not lost hope, and she was looking for Jesus to come. And she shared that with those that were around her. Verse 39, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, speaking of uh, Mary and Joseph, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So like I just mentioned earlier, Mary and Joseph were devout Jews. Uh, Deuteronomy 16.16 tells us this. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in a place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So it was customary for them to make this pilgrimage uh, at the feast time in large groups. And so they would obey what the law had said. The reason for them going, as we're going to see in verse 41, I skipped ahead, verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So again, they were devout Jews, they obeyed, they went, right? And Luke here, as he's writing to, do you guys remember who Luke is writing to? Wake up. And if you want to sleep, you're more than welcome to sleep, but go do it in the back. You remember who he's writing to? Anyone? Anyone? Yes, us. I mean, yes, it's for us. But there was a name. Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus, right? Remember? Most excellent Jeffrey. That's how you're supposed to talk to me. (laughs) Most excellent Theophilus. And so Luke is trying to help Theophilus, right, accept the fact that although Jesus was killed by Jewish teachers, it was not because he was outside of the Jewish faith, because we see this with him and his parents being devout Jews and obeying the letter of the law. Jesus' parents now will see and, wait, sorry, Jesus' parents, uh, we will now see Jesus himself, and Jesus himself will see, were devoted to the law of Moses. They loved it, they studied it, they obeyed it. And Luke's going to show us as we get into chapter 4, the real reason why a devout Jew could be rejected and killed by his own people. Right? So they, they obeyed the law. Verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. How many 12-year-olds are in here? Cool. So the life of Jesus, we get from birth. We don't know really what happens after birth. That sounded weird. After his being born um, until we get to this point where he's 12 years old. And this is the only story and the only insight we get between birth and when he starts his ministry at 30 years old, right? Because when we jump into chapter 3, we're going to see that he is, it's now 18 years later. So this is one of the only stories that we get. And at 12 years old, and so you guys are, who are 12, and some of you have been 12, you guys can relate and understand where we're at in this story. So when he was 12 years old, in that age, every Jewish boy, they would have their quinceanera. Yes, bar mitzvah. 
Uh, it, was, it was when he becomes a son of the covenant where he's considered a grown adult man. Are any 12-year-old boys in here? <laughs> You're a man now. No, I'm just kidding. Isn't that crazy? Be considered a grown adult man. So even though Jesus had been to Jerusalem many times before, this was his first time celebrating the Passover technically as an adult. Okay? Verse 43. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. First of all, don't judge, okay? None of you are parents, okay? So don't think, man, how could they lose Jesus? (laughs) You'll find out someday, and I don't know if you've ever seen parents have kids wear a backpack and they hold them by the leash you ever seen that you're like I would never do that once you become a parent you will understand you'll be like well that is the greatest invention in the world so we cannot fault them for being bad parents I think every parent has a story of losing their kids and I couldn't think of one have we ever lost our kids there's plenty of times okay like even this morning can I I'll just use that she comes up to me she's like did we, did we check the kids in the children's ministry? It was like 10 minutes after service had started. I did it earlier, but she didn't know, right? So it's not something that's like, okay, these are bad parents. And understand this too, that they were traveling in a huge caravan, like with lots of people, okay? So you can only imagine that, you know, Mary thinks that he's with Joseph. Joseph thinks that he's with Mary. Neither one knows that Jesus is with neither of them, Right? And it was customary for women to be in the front in this caravan as they would travel from, from place to place as they would go to these uh, feasts and the men to be in the back. So remember, again, they're probably thinking, okay, he's with Mary uh, or, or he's with Joseph. Um, and obviously we also know that Jesus had siblings, right? So, I mean, you know, once you have one kid, it's really hard. It's a huge transition going from none to one. But then as they start to multiply, it gets even harder, right? I mean... <laughs> So imagine you got all these brothers and sisters, you got Jesus, and you're just hoping, and like when we're at church here, we're a little bit more lax with our kids, and we're just hoping at the end of the day when we have to leave, our kids are still here somewhere. (laughs) So as they're traveling, it took them a whole day for them to figure out that Jesus was not with them. And I have a really funny video to show you guys in regards to that. Uh, One of of the Christian comedians has a joke on that, so I'll show that afterwards. Uh, But they went a day's journey. So They went a day's journey without realizing that Jesus wasn't there, which meant that they had to come back another day's journey to come get him, and then it took them a whole nother day to find him. So three days, it was like home alone, three days, Jesus was without his parents, and Jesus was fine, right? Jesus Jesus is God, he'll be fine. But I can only imagine as a mother and a father what they were going through, and so Verse 45, it says, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And, I mean, this is a really funny story, but this is a really profound story. And there's a reason that this is the only story that we get of Jesus between uh, birth and his ministry beginning at the age of 30. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And nowadays, like, it'd be, it'd be really hard to lose a kid, right? Because most of you, most of you have, like, your parents have, like, some type, type of tracking device on you, right? Uh, 
i.e. your phone, right? Uh, how many, like, Life360? I know a lot of parents use Life360. My parents use it. Not for me, because, yeah. But uh, that would have been really easy to find him. You see, okay, he's traveling here. He's going two miles an hour. He's sitting at the temple. So after three days, they found him, three days after the Passover. And I want to look at this really quick, at what Jesus is doing, at what, what, a, tw- what a young 12-year-old boy is doing. Now, if you guys go missing, we'd probably find you doing something stupid. But for Jesus, we find him doing this. He was in the temple, and he was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Man, if, if that isn't, then this is just a side note, if that isn't an encouragement for us as young people to just sit and listen and also to not be afraid to ask questions. Because just like you, Jesus was learning. I know that sounds weird, and that's, that's a hard thing to fathom, and it's even a hard thing to explain, but Jesus was also learning. Because we have to understand this. Even though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human, right? So he, he felt pain. Like, he, he literally had to grow, Right? So he, he grew not only in stature, as we're going to see, but he also grows in wisdom. Right? He also grows in wisdom. So he's learning. He's listening. He's asking questions. And he's also speaking in verse 47. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And I love, uh, as I picture this, that Jesus, although he's God, does not just stand up there and start speaking, in a sense, but he dialogues, right? Very respectful that he's listening, he's learning, but he's also answering. He's, just not, he's not just up there enlightening the teachers with his sermons. He's listening carefully. He's asking the right questions. And I love that. In the Passover season, it was the custom for the Sanhedrin to meet in public in the temple court to discuss in the presence of all who would listen religious and theological questions. Now, how interesting, like some of these, I mean, most of these people didn't, actually all of them, didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God, right? So here they are dialoguing. They're speaking on theological things, right, which is the study of God. And here's God in their midst, listening and then answering, right? How interesting that must have been, even though they they didn't know that. In verse 48, so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, what the heck, son? No, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. And this is a huge statement for for Jesus to say. Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? One of the things that Mary says in verse 48, she says, look, your father and I were both looking for you, right? Your father had a reference to Joseph, who was his earthly father. Jesus now responding, saying, well, I'm about my father's business. And typically at that age, around 12, the son would take up their father's business or start to learn the trade of their business, right? And did Jesus do that? Yes, by all means, right? Because he became a carpenter, right? So he learned the ways of his earthly father, but more importantly, he was following the will and the mission of God the Father. 
He says, I am about my father's business. So he wasn't in reference to Joseph as his father, but God as his father. Jesus was learning here that this was the beginning as he was understanding his unique relationship to God the Father. Okay, So the main point of this whole passage lies in this contrast between your father coming from Mary and Jesus saying, my father. Okay, That huge contrast, that huge contrast that Jesus knew right now at age of 12 in a crucial stage in his life on the brink of manhood that he's telling his parents in an unforgettable way because we're going to see that Mary, you know, she, she stores all these things in her heart, that Jesus now knows who his real father is and what it means for his mission. Like Jesus came here for a unique and specific purpose. He had one mission, right? What was it? I, I guess it was one mission and it had, you know, submissions under it, right? Like Jesus came to be the atoning sacrifice for that. Underneath that, well, he had to live a perfect life. You know, he did all these other things. But the one main mission was to be obedient to God, the Father, to follow his will. And again, that was to be the atoning sacrifice for us as human beings. Hence the reason he was born a human, lived a human, and died as a human, right? And died as a human. So he says, I go about my father's business. Jesus, even from the age of 12, was obedient to the Father's will. In verse 51, then he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. So it wasn't that Jesus was a 12-year-old defiant kid. Remember, Jesus lived a perfect life. He wasn't being defiant. Okay? We even, now Luke even tells us here that he was subject to them. What does that mean? Well, he, he fell in rank, right? As a child, you are underneath, in role, okay? You are underneath your parents' authority. So when your parents tell you to do something, if it's not outside of sin, you know, if, it, if it's not sin, if it's, you know, whatever it is, then you are to be subject to what they tell you to do and what you should be doing. So Jesus, who, if there was anybody that ever lived, Jesus would have been the one that had the excuse that he didn't have to be, you know, submissive to his parents. All right, we're talking about God being submissive to some people who don't even understand what he's here to do, right? Like, they weren't fully understanding, even when Jesus said it, they didn't fully understand what he was saying, the statement that he spoke. So they were, in a sense, not fully ignorant, but in a sense ignorant. They knew who he was, okay? I'll give you that, because Gabriel spoke that to Mary, they knew who Jesus was, but they didn't fully understand everything, right? Even when Jesus said that statement, they did not understand. And so I know you could probably relate to Jesus and thinking, well, man, my parents just don't understand this. They don't understand that. You know, like, why, why would I listen to them? <laughs> you want to hear a really great quote that, like, I'll never forget? It's not biblical, but it's a really great, great quote from Mark Twain. He says this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. And so often at our age, or when I say our age, at your age, we think that we know everything. And it just comes with the territory. It just comes with the age. It happens to every single person. 
We think we know everything. We think we know better. But listen, man, if, if, your, if your parents, specifically, if your parents are following God, man, listen to them. They have wisdom. Be obedient to them. You are told and commanded to be subject to your parents, even if they're not great parents. You have to be subject to them. And so Jesus gives us this example as a 12-year-old boy that he was subject to Mary and Joseph. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. I mean, it couldn't be any simpler, right? Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And the knowledge of who Jesus was, because Jesus knew who he was, it did not make Jesus proud or haughty. He was still, as God, subject to his earthly parents. Uh, that says a lot to me. At the end of the verse, in verse 51, it says of Mary that she kept all these things in her heart. And how would Luke know that? Well, again, as we saw at the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, that Luke was this historian that did a lot of interviews, right? Spoke to a lot of people, and I can only imagine this is one of the things that Mary told him. Verse 52, and we'll come in for a close. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So Jesus continues to develop, like Luke 2.40 says, uh, in wisdom. Uh, he increased in stature. He became physically uh, bigger. And he also increased in favor with God and men. He grew closer in his personal relationship with his heavenly father and also with the friendships that he had and the relationships that he had around him. So he grew and he increased in wisdom. I don't have a lot of time to explain this, but again, Jesus came as fully God and fully man. And so he did increase in his wisdom. Jesus, although he was, uh, he had the, I don't know how to explain this because I don't want to butcher this. He had the capacity and the ability to be omniscient because he was God. But somehow, because he was also fully man, he was still learning, right? Hence why we see him sitting with these people and asking questions and listening. And yet also Luke telling us in verse 40 and here in verse 52 that he continued to grow and increase in his wisdom. And so that's where we're going to end today. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God. And so Luke here, he sets the stage for what we're going to see in the next chapter of Jesus' adult ministry as the Son of God 18 years later. So it's the only story that we get of Jesus as a preteen. Only story we get from the birth to his ministry as he starts at 30 years old. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, even as we try to figure out the technical difficulties, Lord, I thank you that you were here with us. Lord, we thank you for the example and just this, uh, this submission, not only to his parents, but to his heavenly father. That he came to do one thing, and he perfectly obeyed it. And without that, we would have no hope. We would not be redeemed. We would not be saved. We would be stuck in darkness and in sin. We would not be free, and I thank you for that, Jesus. So I pray that you be with us as we uh, break out into our groups, as we get to know one another, uh, as we share what you have put on our hearts.